Hello everybody. It is the end of my work week, so that means it's time for you to join me on the Homeward Path. This is the show that I record in my vehicle on the way home from work at the end of the work week. And my name is Adam. I'm a husband, father of three, work a full-time job, and listen, magic's tough. It takes a lot of time and a lot of money, and if you're like me and don't have a lot of either one of those things because other responsibilities come first, then you should probably stay tuned because I'm here to try to show you how I am seeking improvement at Magic under difficult time and financial constraints. But before we get started, I need to remind you that I'm a part of the Constructed Criticism Network of Shows. If you haven't checked out the other content on the network, it is fantastic, and you are doing yourself a disservice by not doing so. Uh, We bid a hopefully temporary farewell to the Arena Mythic cast, but Spencer returns, makes a glorious return to the flagship Constructed Criticism show. Uh, We've got Common Knowledge with Brad and Christian, and we've got... Sam Black, one of the icons, one of the legends of Magic the Gathering, with his insights unlimited. So we've got something for everybody. Out of the group, I'm probably the most casual, and I'm kind of trying to lay into that, embrace that, lean into it a little bit more. But check out the network, and don't forget to check out our sponsors, which I'll read off at the beginning of each segment. How's it going, everyone? I hope everyone's doing well, but without any further ado, let's go ahead and dive right into our first segment every week, Budget Spotlight, where we are highlighting an uncommon, a rare, a mythic, and a card with a commander focus that I think are worth more than the price they currently command. And bear in mind, before we get rolling, this segment's brought to you by our sponsorship from MTGO Traders. And Pure MTGO, MTGO, uh, Pure MTGO, sorry, is the largest collection of magic content on the web, or at least one of them. They've got something for everybody. I don't care if it's Commander, Standard, Pauper, anybody from the Constructed Criticism Network. I mean, they're all there. So if you're looking for content, they've got you covered. And I should note that the prices I am quoting here are current as of today. The paper price is from CoolStuffInc.com and the Magic Online price is from MTGO Traders. So our uncommon for this episode is Remand. And some of you just get, like a like me, got a warm, fuzzy feeling inside just from hearing the name of the card again. Uh, but what Remand does is it's one in a blue for an instant. Counter target spell, return it to your opponent's hand instead of putting it into the graveyard if it's countered this way, and then draw a card. And Remand's price tag currently clocks in at $4 a copy in paper, or $0.32 on Magic Online. It's not a quote-unquote true time walk, but it's as close as you're going to get at Uncommon. I I hate to be the bearer of bad news there, but uncommon time walks, actual take extra turn spells, to the best of my knowledge, do not exist. But it is a good card, in the sense that it 
essentially makes it to where anything your opponent casts that uses all of their mana just doesn't happen. You're like, ah, try again next turn. I'm going to time walk you. And I can envision a world, I know this is probably a little bit of a hot take here, but I can envision a world where this card eventually makes a triumphant return to standard. Because I think that is the format where this card effect's power is most appropriate. The further back you go, the less good it is. Because the less invested in casting expensive spells players are. So the perfect environment for remand is generally formats where you're seeing a lot of 3, 4, and 5 drops being cast, and that is normally standard. And I would not be upset to see it come back, even as someone who played through the last time it was around in Ravnica, uh, original Ravnica block standard. It was ubiquitous, yes, but a lot of it also had to do with the fact that we were all really bad at building decks back then. Uh... Notably, everybody had access to Sleight of Hand and only the Magnavore decks played it. So, you know. Maybe we were just bad at magic back then. All of us. But again, for it's $4 in paper, $0.32 cents on Magic Online, you can do a lot worse. Moving on, our rare is Time Sieve. Time Sieve is a blue and a black artifact. Tap, sacrifice five artifacts, take an extra turn. And its current price tag, it's about $2 or $1.80 as of exactly this moment. I'm sure it's normally around the $2 mark. And two cents on Magic Online. Assuming you resolve this thing's ability one time, like it, it hits the table, you've got the artifacts to sacrifice for it, you go ahead and take that first extra turn. It grades out as one of the most efficient time walks in the game because it's two mana, take an extra turn. There's only one other one that's in that in that ballpark, or two other ones. There's Temporal Mastery, which you can miracle for one and a blue, and then there's this one. <laughs> and then there's the original time walk that's banned everywhere. But there's also a good number of combos that allow this card to go infinite where others don't. Cards like the Thopter Foundry Sword of the Meat combo, which conveniently enough are both also two mana spells, so they can be transmuted for with cards like Muddle the Mixture. And I'm showing my age when I talk about that because that's exactly more or less the theory behind the Dark Depths Thopter deck from the last extended format we got that anybody cared about anyway. But with Thopter Foundry sort of the making five lands, that's infinite turns. Because every, you know, you resolve time save, you sacrifice five tokens, take your first extra turn, untap, make five more tokens, gain five life, Sack the five tokens, take an extra turn. You just keep going. Eventually, you make enough tokens with Thopter Foundry Sword of the Meek to overwhelm your opponent, or you draw Urza, go true infinite life, and just kill everybody. But, you know, as far as three-piece combos go, three cards for infinite turns is really powerful. There's also Thopter Assembly. 
Uh, you can, at the beginning of your upkeep, you can return it to your hand in order to create five Thopter tokens. And if you have the mana to recast it after, you can start going off. You know, Again, that first activation is going to cost you, but then you untap, and you bounce that, and you make five Thopters, and then you recast Thopter Assembly, and you sack the five Thopters, take the extra turn, bounce it, make the five token, and you just keep going. Maybe you have Disciple of the Vault to kill your opponent. I don't know what you're about. But regardless, there's a there's a solid number of ways for this thing to go infinite pretty easy. You know, artifact synergies being what they are, they're generally leaning toward being a little bit busted in half anyway. And for $2 in paper and less than a nickel on Magic Online, you can do a whole lot worse. Our mythic is part the Water Veil. Part the Water Veil is four blue-blue sorcery. Uh... Take an extra turn, exile this spell. Or you can cast it for its awakened cost, which is six blue, blue, blue. And if you cast it for its awakened cost, essentially tacking on an extra blue and two extra generic, you also get to put six plus one plus one counters on a land you control and it becomes a six, it becomes a zero, zero elemental creature. So price tag on this currently is $5 in paper and 11 cents on Magic Online. This is a Mythic Time Walk at a very reasonable price. That is a $5 Mythic Time Walk. You look at every other Time Walk at Mythic Rare, every other extra turn spell at Mythic Rare. Time Warp's like $15. Temporal Manipulation's like $30. Uh, Temporal Mastery. Not cheap. Uh, <laughs> Alrin's Epiphany, Nexus of Fate. They just, they don't come down to this level on price tag. And it, in, in addition, with the Awaken Clause on the card, it offers you a way to not only take an extra turn, but a way to win the game during extra turns. Because it gives you a 6-6 six -six to chip away at your opponent's board with. And if you play any amount of, like, synergy to make this thing better, to copy it, to uh, get paid off for it, it's just really good. And it goes without saying, if you cast this with a small, if you cast this for its awakened cost with a smoldering egg on the battlefield, you just, you, you win first prize, right? Because you flip your smoldering egg and you get a 6-6. Six -six, so you've got 10 damage now, and then every instant or sorcery you cast is another two. So you might be able to just one-shot your opponent that way. Last but not least, our commander card is Metomai the Ageless. And you're going to have to give me a second to pull this up. No, I am not on the road today. We are doing this from the house because our weekends, our last couple weekends have been pretty busy. So, Metomai... The Ageless. Currently clocks in at about $2 for paper or a penny on Magic Online. Metamai is four a blue and a white for a 4-4 flying legendary creature Sphinx. So as a commander, you have access to blue and white mana, which is obviously fantastic. Flying, and whenever Metamai deals combat damage to a player, take an extra turn after this one. 
However, Metamai is not allowed to attack during extra turns. So, this is not a card that goes infinite unto itself, thank heavens. But, it gets the ball rolling on a turbo turn strategy by getting you that first extra turn. Whether it's casting it on turns, you know, casting it as soon as you have the mana and then getting to untap with it and get that first hit in. Or casting it and equipping Lightning Greaves or Swiftfoot Boots to get that first hit in right away. That gets you that first extra turn. That can get you to your seven mana to cast Nexus of Fate. That can get you to your six mana plus a cantrip to cast like half the time walks that are out there. You know, it just gets the ball rolling and it kind of dictates to your opponent a little bit about what your deck is about. But moreover, this is just a really cool card design and the idea that it's it's an extra turn spell every turn, ironic, but not during the extra turns. It's just, it's interesting, it's balanced, and it can be a commander, a budget commander, so that it doesn't take up a ton of your budget for building a turn's commander deck. So you can do a lot worse for $2 or a penny. So that's going to wrap up Budget Spotlight, and we are going to take that momentum into our second segment, Brew of the Week. We're just going to keep going. Brew of the Week is where I'm spotlighting a deck that I feel is either really cheap or a lot better than it gets pressed for, or just, you know, one that I enjoy. And in this case, this is going to be an old submission from my buddy Nick back when he was still living nearby, and, you know, we could regularly talk magic on the clock <laughs> but this particular deck is Kess turns for commander and it's important to bring up the fact that this segment is brought to you by our affiliate program from gray viking games if you're like me and you play a lot of arena and sometimes things get away from you you know you you spend too many wild cards on a deck you just really need a little bit of a shot in the arm to get caught up on pack purchasing, you know, get you a couple extra rare wild cards to get the last couple things you need for a deck, or you're just tired of looking at your bland old sleeves. Gray Viking Games has got you covered for an absolute tiny fraction of the cost of buying the, buying the related paper products outright. Uh, if you want to check them out, check out the affiliate link down below in the description. If you're watching this on YouTube or listening to it on Constructed Criticism. And if you are, and it, I guess it's also down below on Pure MPGO, huh? And otherwise, if you're listening to this through a third-party app, don't forget to go check out our Facebook group, Homeward Pathfinders. And it is one of the pinned links in there. So without any further ado, let's talk about Kess Dissident Mage turns in Commander. Your core concept, if you ever wanted to lose friends and alienate playgroups, because that's what you're here to do. For those of you who don't know, Kess Dissident Mage gives you access to blue, black, and red mana. And allows you to cast one instant or sorcery from your graveyard each turn. You do have to pay for that instant or sorcery, but it's one instant or sorcery from your graveyard each turn. 
your goal is to load your hand and graveyard with extra turn spells, and then you take a long string of consecutive turns, hopefully finding a way to win the game along the way. It's not a, it's it's not rocket surgery. Most of y'all have played turns decks before, but the Kess turns deck is particularly interesting because of the number of older extra turn spells that didn't exile themselves. So that means you can cast them, do whatever you want to do with the rest of that turn, untap, Kess ability, cast. Cast that same one again just to get the ball rolling. There's your first, you know, there's your first three consecutive turns. From a customization standpoint, you get stronger or faster based on your selection of fast mana. Obviously, if you've got access to the best stuff, you get to do things faster, especially in an archetype where you're looking to cast multiple five and six mana spells over the course of your quote-unquote combo sequence, which is really just playing one big spell a turn. Being able to do that faster is obviously more powerful. Whether it means you're casting uh, Mana Vault, Mana Crypt, Grim Monolith, you know, all the, all the busted reserve list cards, or you're just playing Is It and Demir Signets, Is It Demir and... Uh, Rakdos Signets or Dramatic Reversal Isochron Scepter to go infinite mana. Whatever. Right? Selecting a win condition is also important because you can draw from a wide range of payoffs. Whether that is uh, Melek is at Paragon, which will allow you to go through, you know, cast spells off the top of your deck and copy an instant or sorcery that you cast off the top of your deck, which is busted with extra turn spells that don't exile themselves, and even with ones that do, because you get two turns out of that spell and then exile it. The idea, obviously, being to just resolve a whole bunch of them in a row, and then you'll figure out a way to kill everybody once you get enough turns stacked on top of each other. You can also play regular Spellslinger uh, payoffs, cards like... Uh, Young Pyromancer, Electrostatic Field. Uh, Firebrand Archer. Uh, Gutter Snipe. What is that card's name? I'm trying to remember that card's name. Metallurgic Summonings. Because, again, the extra turn spells are very expensive, so you can do some cool stuff where... Every time you cast one of them, you just, like, the first one makes a 5-5, five, five, then you make a 6-6, six, six, then you make a 7-7, seven, seven, then you make another 6-6, six, six, then you make a 11-11 a because Temporal Trespass is so expensive. And you just stack up a whole bunch of big, dumb tokens on the battlefield with which to kill your opponent. Or you also play Pandemonium or uh, Impact Tremors, so that every time you do this, you get to ping everybody. And then, do you want static copy effects or one-shot or a mixture of both? A card like Galvanic Iteration that we just talked about. Or, I guess we haven't talked about it yet, actually. A card like Galvanic Iteration is an interesting one for a deck like this because, again, your extra turn spells are fairly expensive, but once you get, you know, two or three extra turns in a row, things start to go nuts. And... Casting a one-shot copy effect, even if you don't do something like Melek, where you can do it every turn, that can get your ball rolling. You know, you get 
You take the first extra turn knowing you've already got another one in the bank. You can develop the board, fix your hand, get everything ready, and then during the second extra turn, play your second copy effect, play your extra turn spell, take three more turns, and then you get to start going off. Strengths and weaknesses are pretty straightforward. You execute a really powerful game plan that allows you to take way more game actions than everybody else around you, which for a lot of people is a big part of their enjoyment level in Magic the Gathering. They just like to do more stuff than what the opponent does, and that's okay. But from a weakness standpoint, because of the nature of what you do, you're going to find yourself as Arch Enemy pretty reliably. As soon as you do it to somebody one time, even if you're in a different playgroup, if that one person has spread the word, and they know if you see Kess, you kill them. So did we speak of killing them on sight? Yes, I believe we did. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, reference to a show I love. So for an Outlook perspective, I mean, it's an expensive deck to get into because extra turn spells are not cheap by any stretch of the imagination by any time stretch of the imagination, if, if you will. But, if your goal is to just do something really, really, really cool in one game and then put the deck away for a few weeks until everybody's like, I want to see the turns deck again. Let's see if we can kill it before it gets going. If you want a deck that reaches sort of a mythical identity among a playgroup, just... The, that's that's why you look at playing this. And also, let's not talk about how nutty expropriate is. Especially when copied by things like Melek. Just, you know, for funsies here. <laughs> but that's going to wrap it up for Brewer of the Week. Again, remember, if you want to check out Grey Viking Games, you can do so in the affiliate link description down below. If you're watching on YouTube, listening on Constructed Criticism or uh, Pure MTGO, and if you aren't on any of those platforms to listen, head over to our Facebook group, The Homeward Pathfinders. It's in my pinned comments there. I really need to get it on the Twitter bio too, but I digress. Without any further ado, let's move into our main topic. And if you haven't guessed yet, I want to talk about extra turn spells this week. Because, let's face it, there's one in particular that's at the forefront of everybody's mind right now when it comes to standard. I titled the episode, Let's Not Do the Time Warp Again. And this is not solely about Auron's Epiphany. Epiphany is just the latest quote-unquote balanced version of a card, of a card type, that treats game enjoyment as a zero-sum game. I mean, let's, let's be real here. If I take four or five turns in a row, I'm the only one that's playing Magic for five turns. And that's just not fun. So obviously that's not great. If, if all the parties involved are not having a good time, it's not going to be fun for anybody. Nobody's going to enjoy it. 
In the context of contested mid-game states, there are very few things more powerful than just getting another turn. If you've got an evasive beater, if you've got a board sweeper you can draw into to stabilize, an extra turn spell is the king of making sure you get there to do the thing. Reactive decks get another draw step and get ahead or caught up on mana. That's a really important th distinction when it comes to what these extra turn spells bring to the table. If you're a reactive deck and you take an extra turn when you're behind, that's getting you caught up on mana if you're on the draw. That gives you another draw step. It can also just afford you an extra interactive piece. But regardless, uh, you know, giving a reactive deck another draw step and a chance to catch up or get ahead. Whether they're, they've already pulled even in the extra turn spell just gives them a chance to remove an additional threat and leave up mana for your follow-up. Or the extra turn spell just allows them to draw into the sweeper to stabilize. Either way, that is not a great play experience as an aggro deck because you were there and you just couldn't get done. You just couldn't close it out. On the other side, and this is where I think things are way more of an issue, proactive decks playing extra turn spells take it to a whole other level. Because if you've already got a premier threat on the board and you resolve an extra turn spell, you slam the door in your opponent's face. You're like, yeah, I know my cards are better than yours, but now I get to use it for an extra turn. If you're a little behind, you can use the extra turn to pull even and then pull ahead on your individual card power level from that point on. This is exacerbated by modern day card design giving you threats that serve as snowballing engines on their own. Threats that the more times you untap with them, the more powerful they become. Well, this functionally guarantees you get at least one extra untap with that awesome threat. And this is going to be kind of my hot take, but when the only way you try to balance your extra turn spells is by making them more expensive, the only thing it does is lets, deck, lets a deck establish more powerful threats before taking an extra turn. You know, Auron's Epiphany would be a more interesting card to build around if it had a, had a drawback and didn't cost six or seven mana because you wouldn't be able to curve into it with Goldspan Dragon, who is already, you know, the best, one of the best threats in standard. But the ability to curve Goldspan Dragon into Epiphany into a second dragon means you can just kill your opponent with that sequence and spend the rest of the time interacting. So just making them more expensive doesn't seem to have done the job because we're still playing them. You know, I have vivid memories of playing Part the Water Veil. I remember playing Walk the Aeons. I remember playing uh, Time Warp back in the day. Even though it was five mana. Because it was really good to just take another turn. But that none of this is to say that all Time Walks are bad. Or that all Time Walks are broken. There have been some good designs. You've got your red time walks. Glorious End and Chance for Glories are really interesting card designs. 
Uh, Glorious End ends the current turn, but you lose the game at the beginning of the next end step. Chance for Glory is take an extra turn. Uh, you lose the game at the beginning of that turn's end step. These are perfect for proactive decks because they actually give you a real penalty for not just ending the game in the extra turn instead of just pulling a little ahead and then passing it back. So, I mean, from a, from a design standpoint, from an engagement standpoint, from a risk-reward standpoint, they're a whole lot more interesting. To the point that, you know, we've played bad Gideon of the Trials decks just to play these cards and see how good they can be if you take away that negative drawback. And spoilers, extra turn spells are still really, really good, and Glorious End in particular is ridiculous because you don't take an extra turn, you just end your opponent. So you get them while they're trying to resolve something, and then you end their turn, exile everything on the stack, and then move on to your next turn, which is obnoxious. You've got your conditional time walks. Even in blue, Karn's Temporal Sundering requires you to have a legendary creature or planeswalker. And being six mana and requiring a threat on the board already in order to resolve it. This was one that saw a little bit of play, but it didn't see enough play to warrant any kind of conversation about it. Because, or should I say conversation about it? Because it just, it, it was good, but it wasn't broken because you couldn't play it everywhere. Stitch in time, from way, way back in original Ravnica, you would flip coins to determine whether or not your three mana spell got you an extra turn. That's fun. It's not good at all, but it's fun. And even Temporal Trespass. If, you're, if your goal when you're making something more expensive is just to make it outlandishly expensive and really hard to cast, starting with making it triple blue is a good place to start. Uh, Temporal Trespass is blue, 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 eight. Take an extra turn, but you can delve it. So you can obviously exile uh, cards from your graveyard to reduce the generic mana cost, but you still have to have the triple blue. And that just makes things interesting because, I mean, quite frankly, blue is one of the best colors for delving anyway. You've got access to cards like Thought Scour. You've got access to cards like Careful Study. You've got access to cards like Consider. You've got all the cantrips. You've got uh, cards like Compulsive Research, Thirst for Knowledge, Thirst for Meaning. You've got Self-Mill cards and Tome Scour, Hedron Crab, whatever, right? So delving should be easy, but you've still also got to get Triple Blue on the battlefield and enough cards in the graveyard to delve it away to make it a three-mana time walk. And you've got to have something to do during that extra turn. So, suffice it to say, this was not a card that saw a ton of play during its time in Standard, despite being, you know, ostensibly at least, the cheapest extra turn spell in the format. Which just kind of goes to show, if you make part of the expense colored mana, it's also just harder to justify playing. And last, but, not, but the last thing I said, you know, please just stop making them generic. Stop making them easy to splash, right? Beacon of Tomorrow's never led to fun. Going all the way back to back in the day when we'd play, you know, the cards we had 
And one of one of our guys got a hold of a combination of Beacon of Tomorrows and Planar Portal. So they could cast Beacon of Tomorrows to take an extra turn. Go get go get it with Planar Portal and then untap and then do it again. Because he was playing a combination of mana ramp spells and sacrifice engines and just it was it was not good, and neither were we, but it, it's not a card that's led to any kind of a fun play experience. Time Warp single-handedly made the Simic Turbo Land deck during its run in Standard Zendikar Alara Standard viable. Uh, for those who don't know, the Simic Turbo Land deck was Lotus Cobra plus Fetches plus Time Warp plus Jace plus uh, Avenger of Zendikar and Royal Elemental. And the reason you would win with it is because you could do nonsense like cast, uh, get Cobra on the table, go fetch land, sacrifice, get your land, cast time warp, untap, cast royal elemental, fetch land, sacrifice, go get your land drop, you've got two mana floating, steal two things from your opponent, cast explore, play another fetch land, do it again. <laughs> but part of the reason you were able to do as much as you did and be able to just completely out your opponent's chances of winning the game were because you had access to an extra turn spell which would allow you to start to pull ahead walk the aeons decks weren't dominant but they shouldn't have been good either. I remember this. I remember these. They were not good at all, really. But they were decks people built because between uh, ramen up Excavator and then multiple uh, extra turn spells, not extra turn spells, extra land drop spells, you'd be able to play lands from your graveyard. You'd be able to buy back your Walk the Aeons. And it just wouldn't matter anymore. You could buy it back. It would come back to your hand. You could cast it again. Sacrifice three islands. And you just keep going. You just take all the turns. Does it matter what you do with the extra turns? Not really when you get all of them. I mean, three words. Nexus of Fate. How was that card okay? It, it, it is literally Power Crap Beacon of Tomorrow's. It's an instant instead of a sorcery. It's seven mana instead of eight. And it goes back into the deck when it's put in the graveyard from anywhere instead of only doing it on resolution. Who thought this was a good idea? Right? Needless to say, it was a card that got banned in best of one. It was a card that ended up getting banned in several environments and it was just not okay for standard not get ourselves and now Allrin's Epiphany alongside several amazing mid-game cards and engines cards like Renin 7, Essica's Chariot Goldspan Dragon I mean Imrith there's so many good cards in, in the 5 to 7 mana range or in the 4 to 7 mana range in standard right now that getting an extra turn and getting two more two more points of damage is not a trivial thing. It's not a it's not a small thing. 
So I would wager my my solution to the problem, if you will, is if you want to print generic time walks, if you absolutely have to do it, can we please put them in sets that aren't going to be in standard? Make them commander cards. Make them modern horizons cards. Make them uh, unset cards. Make them conspiracy cards. You know, we don't need generic time walks in standard. Because the line between unplayable and the best thing to do in the middle of the game is really, really thin. Really thin. So moving forward, I would appreciate it greatly, Wizards, if we could just quit printing generic time walks. Let's not do the time warp ever again. Okay? And that's all I've got for this episode, everybody. I hope you enjoyed it. Again... I don't like to do complaining episodes. I really don't. I like to talk about things I like. And for the most part, we try to do that here. But I wanted to point out that it's not just epiphany that's the problem. It's just the mindset of putting extra turn spells in standard in the first place. I don't like it. I, as someone who has played his unfair share of Ulrin's epiphany turns... I should not be able to win games of Magic that easily. It should not be that easy for me to win games of Magic against people who play so much more Magic than I do on a, on a regular basis. So for that reason alone, you know, I win games with that card and I feel like I'm cheating. And I, I, I don't do that. Like, I don't like feeling that way. You know, an opponent has me dead on board and I just rip Epiphany into blood on the snow and come all the way back. Because I was able to bring back my Renin 7 and then make a token and then crew chariot and then chariot attacks and then I make another uh, Renin 7 token. And their board's empty. I shouldn't be able to do that. You know, it shouldn't be that easy for me to win the game. So, if you've got questions, you've got comments, you've got concerns, send them on Twitter. I'm at HomewardPathMTG. Uh, join the conversation in the Facebook group, the Homeward Pathfinders. If you want to become a patron of the show, patreon.com slash HomewardPathMTG. Show's always going to be free, but if you like what we're doing enough to help us keep doing it, head over there, become a patron, take advantage of your rewards. And with that out of the way, uh, for those of you who have missed the MTG Dad's Dad Jokes segment at the end of this show, because I've had so much trouble getting a, a good critical mass of them on social media, I've actually just started doing them myself on TikTok. So if you want to follow the 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 you want to follow the puns there, uh, my TikTok is at Homeward Path Gaming. There's also some. Uh, updates about personal life and, you know, kind of getting to know the man behind the mic in addition to, you know, magic dad jokes. So without, I've talked your ear off long enough. That's all I got for this week. So again, everybody's going through stuff right now. Things are not great in the world as it were. So when you're dealing with people, when you're interacting with people, I just ask all of you to please lead with kindness. Always try to be nice, but never fail to be kind. So laugh hard. Try not to take too many extra turns. Be kind. We'll catch you next week.